Oh gosh, I really would like to, to complete the Iron Man course, but look at me. I'm paralyzed from the neck down. I can't even break a saltine cracker with my teeth. <laughs> and oh man, the cost? Can you imagine how much that's gonna cost? And how, I don't even know if I'm gonna be a quadriplegic rest of my life. How would I ever find the time? All of a sudden, we start putting the obstacles that we manifest in yeah. front of that goal. And they, because we manifested them, take life. And so I don't have the money, I don't have the time, I don't have the health, I don't know the people. If we take all those away and we say, okay, God, you're my partner, you know all those things. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna work hard like it depends on me, and I'm gonna pray hard like it depends on you. Rod Hutchins has overcome many major obstacles in his life. After suffering with Guillain-Barre syndrome, even paralyzed for a short time, he fought to regain his health and later, some 23 years later, successfully completed the Ironman course in Kona, Hawaii, an unwavering goal he held the entire time. Lying in his hospital bed, Rod asked a very important question of himself. If given a second chance, what would I do if I knew that I could not fail? Rod has always been focused on change and growth. He has overcome numerous health challenges and physical obstacles. In the first of this two-episode interview, we hear Rod's story, his persistence in overcoming his challenges, how he has committed to inspire others to, in his words, live life fully in their race at their pace. I'm Neil Larson, and this is The Extra Podcast. Rod Hutchins. He was born and raised in Ogden, Utah, and now lives in Idaho Falls in Idaho. He's been involved in many leadership, education, and training organizations, as well as numerous local, regional, national, and, and international projects throughout his life, and he has quite a story to tell. Rod Hutchins, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dale. It's an honor to be here. Well, this particular stretch of podcast episodes is about people who've been through not just hard things in their lives, but excruciating things. <laughs> and they've either, either overcome them or they are still working through them. And I think both scenarios really apply to you. You have quite a story that stretches back a, a number of years. So I want you to start out, maybe introduce yourself a little bit more than I did, and then tell us your backstory and and what you've been through in your life. All righty. Um, well, I was born and raised, as you mentioned, in Ogden, Utah. Was one of nine children, second to the youngest. Mm -hmm. And uh, we learned the principles of hard work, respect, and going after your goals, commitment. And I think that that's what kind of uh, put the foundation for me going forward in my life. Although then I didn't know it, I look back and, and those are principles that have been very powerful. We were always taught to go after what we wanted to do. So where most parents might be saying to a winter trip for scouting on a top of a peak, no, it's going to be too cold. My parents were saying, just be safe. Yeah. Okay. okay. And we were sent off and, uh, to create memories and have experiences that, uh, that would last a lifetime. So that's kind of how I was raised. So you learned to do hard things at a, at a young age. Oh yes. Yes. Uh-huh. We, we learned the principle of work. I mean, I was probably like most kids my age, I was involved in paper routes and mowing lawns and, and other projects of service and, uh, always kept busy. And then, um, 
from about the age of 12 to about 18, I had the opportunity to work for the Boy Scouts of America, hmm. uh, the Lake Bonneville Council at that time. And I was actually a high adventure guide over in the Tetons and through Yellowstone. Okay. So every summer, a couple of weeks after school would get out, I was on a new adventure, uh, backpacking 80 miles with uh, Explorer Scouts weekly for about six weeks. Then okay. a couple of weeks before school started, I'd be home and back into the groove. So I've, I've always had a life that uh, has been full of adventure. And um, I've, never assimilated challenges as challenges. Mm -hmm. So we, we come up against an object or a, an obstacle or a challenge. I look at them as stepping stones. Yeah. And back then, you know, when you're out in the middle of the woods, the middle of the Tetons, there's nobody you can go to, uh, 80 miles in the back country. And so you have to figure out things as they happen when they happen. Yeah. Learn to be resourceful and learn to be resourceful, learn yeah. to think on your feet, learn to see it through yeah. and learn to, to deal with people. But most of all, what was important was the safety of getting those scouts from point A to point B. So where we yeah. started the end of 80 miles to Yellowstone to Old Faithful and doing it safely. So that would set up a great foundation for uh, the rest of my life as well. Um, I've always been involved in business, in education. Mm -hmm. um, I've been involved in a lot of leadership positions like you've talked about. And one might think that, that comes natural. I want yeah. to say for me, it, it didn't. So you didn't feel like it was just a natural thing for you? Oh, you, no. Oh, okay. no. Um, and just a side point uh, before I share this next thing. You know, people who hear this are going to say, well, of course he could do it. Look at him. But what they don't see is, is the journey there that creates the man, creates the individual to be what they are today. Yeah. That actually causes them to step out of their comfort zone, to grow, and to become. So, not, not to interrupt you, but it, it sounds to me, just going back through your childhood, and you described kind of what your parents' philosophy was, they didn't, they didn't feel like um, anything was, was too hard for you. It was... More be safe and, and don't do anything that, that threatens your life, but go through hard things. So there was that philosophy of always kind of pushing outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. That was, that was never a thing where they said, oh, just be comfortable and be safe. Or, well, be safe, but just be comfortable. But actually to, to venture outside of your comfort they zone. They encouraged growth. Yeah. And so let me kind of start before all that. I was born a redhead, the only redhead in a family of nine. Okay. And I had a temper like none other. Yeah. And it was a very common thing for me from probably all the way up to sixth grade to be in fights every day. Mm -hmm. Today, we'd probably call it a bully, but if you looked at me cross-eyed, I'd challenge you to a fight. Yeah. And I don't know how many times I was in the principal's office with my parents. I don't know how many times I was expelled. but that journey would forever change my life because of one man. The principal, I always had it down when I got into his office. Okay, give us the lecture. Tell my parents, you know, that I'm expelled and let's get on with what we're doing. Yeah. One day he didn't do that. One day I got in a fight and my parents uh, were on both my sides and we were sitting across uh, from him at his desk. And he looked at me just straight in the eyes and he didn't say a thing. 
Now I'm waiting for the verse, right? Okay, give it to me. But he didn't. And he just kept staring what seemed like an eternity, probably was 10, 15 minutes. And then finally he says, you know what? When I get back, I'm going to have a solution. Now to me, that was a challenge. Yeah, Yeah. sure. It hasn't worked yet. So let's see what you're going to do now. Right. He came back and he said, you know, he said in a, in a, a couple of months, we're having uh, a person come in for an assembly, and we'd like you to introduce them in front of the whole school. Okay. And I'm saying, now, wait a minute. That's, I wasn't expecting that. He said, would you do it? And I had to think about that because now my whole basis of how I was was turned upside down. Mm-hmm. He said, but there's one condition. You cannot fight between now and then. Okay. And you know what, Neil? I didn't have to think about that, not even a second. In that split moment, I said, okay. And from that day forward, Principal Ben Standing became one of those key instrumental people in my life Mm -hmm. that took a lot of energy from a young child and directed it to amazing results throughout my life. So he made you feel, just feel different about yourself and your behavior followed then? Yes, he channeled all that energy. He channeled it to, instead of fighting, which was an expression of where I was. Yeah. I wasn't mean, I just was a bully. Yeah. But I had all of this uh, energy that needed to be channeled. And so he channeled that. And from that day forward, I think I might have been in a fight one other time. Yeah. But from that day forward, I'd go on to be seventh grade president. Mm-hmm. I'd go on and my journey to leadership and my journey to exploration of what life was about and serving people had begun. And I'll be forever grateful to that one man at that point in time in my life that was able to see who I was. He wasn't just an educator. He yeah. was a friend and a teacher. You know, is that, do you, do you see that in, and certainly you're, you're well-versed in leadership. You've probably seen a lot of different leadership styles. And I think there is a, a real difference between those who are just trying to extract behavior from people that they lead yes. and those who truly care about those they lead and helping them become the best they can be. Servant leadership is rare. And so when you find it, you want to surround yourself with it. And what servant leadership is, is seeing the potential that someone has and then gently guiding them towards and encouraging encouraging them towards that particular direction. And that's what uh, Principal Standing did that, that particular day. Instead of doing what was customary, what was moat, you know, okay, I'm going to get lectured. I'm going to go home. My parents will be upset. I'll be fighting again tomorrow. How many more times can you expel me? He totally changed the horizon of how I viewed what was ahead of me. Now, here's the interesting thing, Neil. At that point in time, I never understood my whole journey of today. Yeah. But it was the key, one of the key instrumental things I remember being in a fight shortly before that with my brother, my older brother, just a couple of years older than I and his friend. We were out in the backyard and I was just tearing into him. I had a lot of energy. And my mom picked me up, brought me in, stuck me on the couch. And she went in and she was peeling potatoes. Now, here I am yelling and screaming. I mean, I was young. Yeah. 
And in peeling the potato, she says, someday when you're able to channel that energy, you will fly to the moon. Yeah. Now I heard that. She doesn't know I heard that, but I heard that. And how right she was. Because it'd be shortly after that that Ben Standing would do what he did. And it would forever set a precedence for me in wanting to encourage other people to become the best they could in their journey for where they're at and in the direction they're wanting yeah. to go. So we have a good background on your upbringing, kind of what, what Rod Hutchins, the boy, the adolescent, <laughs> kind of that's a precursor to what was to follow. And you've talked about some hard things you went through. Let's kind of transition into the excruciating thing. Tell us about Guillaume Beret and your journey with that. Uh, you know, that was an amazing journey, but at the time it was scary. Um, I've been blessed throughout my life, and I continue to be blessed to be a pioneer in the health arena. So Guillaume was something that was very, very rare at that time. Yeah. In fact, the hospital that I went to had only seen four cases in 28 years. I was the fourth case. Mm. So <clears throat> I, uh, at that time, I was an administrator of a business college, and I was running my own business. And I was uh, traveling out to Colorado to be working with some of our wholesale suppliers. And that journey, what should have been maybe uh, a five, six hour journey, ended up being 15 hours with me just being sick and throwing up and diarrhea just, yeah. just beyond compare. Now, I've always been healthy. I mean, I was hauling all these backpacks through the Tetons and sure. very, very healthy. Yeah. So after being at the hotel for three days and then deciding that I could finally drive home, I came home and over the next 30 days, my body went through what I call pins and needles. It's like when you stand up and your legs have fallen asleep yeah. and there's no filling and then the pins and needles come. Mm -hmm. That's what my whole body was going through 24 seven. Oh, wow. And I remember walking into the hospital with my ex-wife and feeling like I was 120 years old. I mean, just hobbling. Yeah. And from 30 days to healthy to 30 days to be hobbling like that. Well, they got me in and often in the medical profession, it's the process of elimination. So all these tests started. And the pain was pretty excruciating. Um, and so one by one, we did these tests. And finally, gosh, it was probably about three or four days later, my right arm, I think it was either my right or le my left arm, I couldn't feel it. And yeah. there, was no, there was no tingling in it, no pins and needles. And so what happened was I told the doctor that. And um, it was about two or three days later, and then I lost the use of my leg. And he started doing research, and thank heavens again for key pivotal people in our lives, right? This doctor, as rare as that was, immediately put me on uh, gamma goblin, which is a very thick substance that you have injected to you when you're traveling abroad to um, be able to avoid, you know, a lot of the diseases that are out there, the viruses and that. Yeah. And so for about four or five days, he just pumped gamma goblin into my system like it was an IV. Well, what happened was, is the next thing I knew, I was going down to University of Utah. And down there, I'd be there for an extended period of time. And that paralysis would work up my core and eventually take out all of my, um, all of my, my limbs. Yeah. I couldn't move them. 
Um, and, and we think that our mind's very powerful. I have a very, very strong mind. Uh, somewhere in our, our podcast, either this one or the next, I'll share the power of that. Yeah. But I couldn't get my body to work. All I knew is for the first time, I didn't have pins and needles. Yeah. But I couldn't move. And I remember the doctor uh, taking me from the ICU, putting me in the ambulance and saying, I hope you have your affairs in order. We don't know if you'll be coming out of this. So they thought it was very likely that you were going to die then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They made made a lot of progress since then. So kind of educated. But it wasn't wasn't so much that they thought I was going to die. They just didn't know because what happens is that ascends up your body. And so- Eventually, they'll, they'll have a heart machine there for you because your heart muscles stop working. They'll have the iron lung there because oh, your see. lung muscles stop working. So it's not just a muscle thing. It's an organ thing. It's everything. It's then. everything. Okay. So did they know very much about Guillain-Barre back no. then? You were with fourth case in 28 years. Yes. So they didn't see it too much, but it was just... It was just still kind of a mystery medically then. Sure, sure. And so the University of Utah... Um, they sent me down there, and that's kind of the place where it's a research university. So they, they study all these things, and there was a lot of people wanting to do case studies on, on my case. I'd be there for an extended period of time, and they would do a lot of spinal taps. They would do a lot of invasive tests just to confirm that it wasn't MS, it wasn't Hodgkin's, it wasn't uh, so many other things that it could have been. Right. Because Guillain-Barre mimics a lot. And um, <clears throat> the WHO organization just barely sent out a notice stating that one of the rare diseases that is exempt from, um, from being vaccinated is Guillain-Barre. And they're trying to understand the correlation of Guillain-Barre to COVID-19, okay? Yeah. And so <clears throat> I, I remember being down there, and, and um, what happened was because there were so many invasive tests, I ended up getting infections. And so now not only was I paralyzed, but I had staph and strep running through my body rampant. Mm. Now as a redhead, I build a tolerance to, to drugs. I didn't know that that oh, was really? a case with redheads until a flight emergency flight nurse told me that. Okay. But the drugs they were giving me, I was just assimilating them okay. and, and the infections were getting worse. Yeah. And so it came to a point that at one particular point in time, the doctor came in and talked to my ex-wife and I and said, you've taken five of the six major cannons that yeah. we treat these staph and strep infections with. Yeah. Now, you say your, your ex-wife. Was she your wife at the time? She or? was. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Yes. Yeah. And then, uh, so what happened, he says, if you build a tolerance to this next one, you probably won't make it for another two weeks. Mm. Now, by all rights, Neil, statistically, scientifically, medically, he was right because I did assimilate all those drugs. It did continue to get worse. I couldn't move. I couldn't fight it. Yeah. I remember hearing that, and, and that you talk about uh, atrocious things, I mean, extreme things. You know, I was just doing the best I could to get through that and understand it. I had five children. I was the administrator of a business college, and all of a sudden, my life was turned upside down. But God has an amazing way of reaching out, and if we'll let him, drawing out a greater potential like Principal Ben Standing did. And little did I realize that that journey would forever 
ever changed my life and millions of lives around the world. So, Rod, I want to want to pause for a moment at that point in the story. Did you lose hope during that at any time? Did you think this is it? Either I'm not going to survive, or I'm just going to have a, <laughs> a lifetime of being a quadriplegic? Or was there always kind of that little hope back in in the back of your mind, that little seed of faith that things could get better? Excellent, excellent question. When you're going through that, the first thing I realized, and this is a takeaway, is that I really was not in control of my life. There was a power greater than I that could make that decision whether or not I would build a tolerance to the sixth drug or I would come through it. So in a sense, you said the outcome isn't really up to me. That's God's in charge here. What happened when that doctor left, that night I said to myself, okay, I've had an amazing life up to this point. I have no complaints. It's been blessed. God, if you give me a second chance, I'd like to do some things. And I remember that night, this is, I think this is probably the first time I've shared that, but that night, there was an amazing electrical storm that was lightning happened. And I was just amazed by it. It had startled me so much that you, if you, you, you don't even notice this, but my little pinky is moving. Yeah. And I noticed that much movement after that electrical storm. Mm-hmm. And that gave me hope. So the next day when my son came in, I said, I want you to write down what I'm going to tell you. And please don't ask questions. And I started listing what I would do if given a second chance. Now, I took then, I didn't realize it, but I took the five major uh, pillars of our life, spiritual, social, mental, physical, financial. And I said, this is what I would do if given a second chance, if I could not fail. That would be a powerful talking point going forward in my life. Because at that time, it wasn't a New Year's resolution all made on the 31st of December and, oh, tomorrow's the first, so I better, you know, set these goals. It was a life-changing goal. So that commitment reached way down into the depths of you and your identity. It was my soul. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize it at that time how really crazy those sounded. But my son wrote them down. And I remember the doctor coming in and me saying to him, you know what, if given a second chance, I'm going to go ahead and complete the Ironman course in Kona, Hawaii. Neil, it's hilarious when you surround yourself with the wrong people, what happens? Because the next 20, 30 minutes, I had the lead psychologist in there (laughs) thinking that I was delusional and I was on my way out. Yeah. And she was there to prove it. I remember the little pinky. Mm -hmm. I said to the nurse that day, that was the most amazing storm last night. And I'll never forget the expression on her face. She said, there wasn't a storm last night. I said, oh no, there was a storm last night. There was lightning in my room. She said, no, it was a clear night. And at that point, I knew my journey was blessed. At that point, given just 1% 1% chance, Nell. See, we think we need to have everything perfect. We don't. We yeah. just need 1% chance to go two, 
to go three, to go four, to go five, to go six, and to evolve. So one little sliver. Just my pinky. And then you can grow from there. You can add to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can create more opportunity. You can add more faith. Well, and, and the thing was, is I didn't have to create opportunity. Mm-hmm. It was already there. We have greatness inside of us. Every one of us has an amazing story. It's already all that we can be is there. It's just pulling it out. And people hear that and they say, well, that's easy for you to say. Well, no, it wasn't easy for me to say at that time because I didn't know if I was going to be a quadriplegic the rest of my life. I didn't know if I would ever get back to my job. I didn't know anything other than 1%. Your pinky. And remember my story about over in the Tetons, if we had a challenge, we had to figure it out then? Yeah. That kicked in. Remember Ben standing, directing it? So I surrounded myself with people that started adding two, three, four, 5%. Interestingly enough, Neil, this is going to sound crazy because you're seeing me on the other side of the fence now on the journey. Yeah. At that time, I was so private that completing the Ironman course in Kona, Hawaii, I didn't want to compete. I just wanted to complete. And completing the course in Kona, Hawaii meant that I would get a hold of the Ironman Federation and I would get my family and I would go to Kona and I would do the whole course. They would write a letter stating that and we were done. Yeah. That was it. Hmm. That's all I wanted. That's it. But God, in his opinion and in his will, said, you know what? We're going to touch people all around the world with your story. You don't know that yet, but who you are becoming will inspire people you have never even met. So a question I want to ask, because I, I'm, I'm going to try and connect two separate points of your story. Okay. You're meeting with your principal. Yes. And he says, if you will refrain from fighting, yes. then, if yes. then, if you'll refrain from fighting, then you can make this introduction at this school assembly. Absolutely, yes. Lying in your hospital bed as a Guillain-Barre quadriplegic, if I have another chance, then I want to accomplish all of these things. Is there a certain logic that you can employ? And I don't mean logic in the traditional sense, but a sort of bargaining that you have with God, with yourself, that if this condition can be met, then this is what can happen in the future. Uh, that is an excellent question. And I love certain words that you've said, bargaining, okay? For me, there was no bargaining. Yeah. Uh, because I could have been dead. I knew I should have been dead. Yeah. But there was a foundation that was set at that time that continues today even stronger. And that was, remember if I said given a second chance? That means God's got to grant it. Yeah. Well, then he becomes my partner. He becomes my partner in that journey. And so the only thing I've got to focus on is my trust in him and the process of becoming. And so from that hospital that day, I would walk out, not that day, but weeks later, I would walk out on crutches. And then I would start that journey of 
of working towards completing the Ironman course, not competing. Yeah. I, I never wanted to compete. This is the other powerful thing I learned that day. Before the Guillain-Barre happened, I was climbing the, you know, the career ladder and, yeah. and leadership and all that. And now what was happening was I was only competing against my very best self. You know, I, and I wanted to ask that question because you said you didn't want to compete. You just wanted to complete. Yes. But in a sense, you are competing with yourself and yes. the previous version of yourself. Yes. You always want to best that version of yourself that is in the past that, that may not have, have been up to that, that level. And so there is a sense of competition, but it wasn't with other oh, no. athletes on uh, that day. It was with who you are. I always, from that point forward, welcomed the next best version of myself. Yeah. Now, some might say, well, gosh, you know, if you're going to go to Coney, you got to do all these things. No, I don't. Because I had days, I still have days, especially now in my second journey, yeah. where I can't do anything because of the pain. That's a great day. Yeah. If I just got up and fixed a mill, that's a great day. But I've also had days where I've ridden my bike 60 miles and ran five. That's a great day. And so all of a sudden, meeting my next best self became an amazing journey of discovery. And if you go to my dedication when I first got in the water in Kona, mm -hmm. I dedicated it to my parents and to the veterans. I had the military there by my side the whole trip, um, all, all the branches. And then I said, and this was powerful, I'm excited to meet my next best self. That's a great concept. Because I think most of us, myself included, we're looking at an external measure. Like, mm -hmm. you know, someone else or maybe some other point in time, what somebody else achieved. When in reality, our, we're, just, we're just really, if we want to truly get better, I think there's a certain humility that comes when you sort of abandon all of that. And you just say, you know what, the point is to be moving in the right direction, to add to who I was yesterday and to keep going in that direction. And I, I, I'm, I'm so inspired by, by that concept. And because there's always going to be somebody out there that's going to be better than you are at nearly everything, but you can always be better than you were before. Absolutely. And better doesn't, is not measured by action. Yeah. Better is measured by growth. Yeah. So for me, where I had been in leadership positions and go, 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 and solutions, I was national uh, vice president to the exploring program. I was Western region president. So I was over 400,000 youth, always putting together programs and everything. That was all about me. Yeah. Now what happened? It was all about God because I had to rely on that partnership. And my faith had to grow. I'd like to say, boy, you know, I had great faith at that time. No, it's growing. It's a process that I like to say meeting your next best self is done by making the next right decision that leads you to your best and highest self. So I could sit there in my bed and beat myself up. Oh, my gosh, I'm in so much pain. I can't do anything. Yeah. Oh, how am I ever going to get to Kona? Or I can say, you know what? <laughs> I did pretty good. I made it to the bathroom and back, and I didn't have to crawl. Yeah. Now, people don't understand that pain level, and maybe some do. Mm -hmm. 
But I want to say this, my pain level and my journey is irrelevant to this podcast. And the reason I say that is, is because it's about your journey. It's about your audience's journey. If my journey can inspire them with some thoughts yeah. that allows them to take their, their, their dreams off the shelf that they've just put away because they can't see it happening and dust them off and begin, then I'll have accomplished everything. But here's the other powerful thought I want to share with you is that it's done just one day at a time. It's done with a goal in mind. You know, the two goals that I had that really helped me uh, in the area, I had a lot, I had 70 goals overall when I actually sat down and counted them. Yeah. I've been able to accomplish now 42, okay? 42. And they're all at that level. Um, but the two goals that I had set immediately was to complete the Ironman course for, for the endurance that that would take. I mean, that's swimming 2.4 miles in the ocean. That's biking 112 miles on your bike. And then it's getting off running a Boston Marathon of 26.2 miles. Oh, my word. Consecutively. Yeah. Can you imagine a paralyzed person, quadriplegic? Well, doing any one of those things is a huge accomplishment. All three of them are major events in their respective fields. Yeah. That's why they call it the Iron Man. World premiere, uh, uh, world premiere race of athleticism. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but the one thing that I, I recall, and this is what I want to share with your audience, is that I had to be okay with where I was at. I never lost sight of the power of that dream, that goal. So thousands and thousands and thousands of times, I saw myself crossing the finish line. Now, yeah. what I didn't know is that that goal would stretch over 23 years, and never did I lose even an ounce of that. Because, see, when you're in partnership with God, he doesn't fail. Yeah. And so it's solely your choice if you're going to fail. Well, why would I fail God? Why would I fail myself? Yeah. Because if I can honor myself, I'm going to inspire other people. And is that my goal? Uh-uh. <laughs> my goal is just to get it done. Yeah. But the, it's like the pebble in the lake. It reverberates to the edges. In the process of that, you inspired people. That wasn't your intent Never. to begin with, but that was just a kind of a byproduct of your story of what, of what you, you went through. I have a question for you because I, I find it remarkable that you set a goal and that you stayed committed to that goal for over two decades, 23 years, from the hospital bed yes. to Kona. Yes. That's, that's a long span. Yes. Most people want to meet their goals a little faster than in 23 years. And I, so I find it remarkable that you stayed committed to that goal. And, I, you know, I look at myself, I, I keep a journal pretty regularly. I could go back to an entry from 23 years ago. That was, what, the year 2000, somewhere around there. And I'm sure that I listed some goals that I would like to accomplish back <laughs> right, then. Right. I can't even remember what, what I would have said <laughs> right, right. back then. Some of them I may have accomplished, others I had let go. So the fact that you would stay committed for that length of time is remarkable. And I think it's an educating moment for me and also for the audience who may be listening to this podcast. How do you stay attached to, committed to, dedicated to that goal for that amount of time, because I think most people 
Look at how long people keep New Year's resolutions. Sometimes by week two or three. That, that's right. They've, they've ditched it. So That's exactly right. How yes. did it happen because of how deeply the goal was embedded when you made it? Or did it happen based on little things that you did every day to stay committed to it? What, what happened to, to make that magic happen? Um, you know, as I look back over that, I didn't realize how solidified that goal was in my soul. The other goal that I had was that of a black belt. So here I am mm. wanting to complete the Ironman course and get a black belt in yep. martial arts. Black belt for agility, Ironman for endurance. I had to have a goal bigger than the challenge. Mm -hmm. Now, most people, when they set out a goal, they'll set out a goal that's very accomplishable in their mind at that point in time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I couldn't do that. I was facing death. So I had to have a goal bigger than death. There's not too many things bigger than death. That you can set your goals for. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then I went ahead and became detached to the results. Okay. And that's the difference. So if we set a goal and we haven't hit it by our time, that's an expectation we put out there. Can you imagine me some 20 some odd years ago saying, I expect to be able to do a podcast with Neil Larson? <laughs> no. But here right. we are. Yeah. And so when we become detached yeah. from the outcome, we enjoy the journey. It's, it's whatever kind of, comes, comes. Whatever comes, comes. Now, here's the thing it, it is a mindset that you have to develop because often we focus on the problem. And what I want to say is the problem is actually your next best, biggest blessing. Hmm. So I, so I was we, able to go. We have to reframe how we view challenges then. Yes. And let me, let me kind of just share what I discovered. So in that time that I was preparing to go to Kona, I would meet certain people that would be instrumental in my path going forward. Okay. Larry Gellowitz from yeah. Forever Strong was one of those people. Um, but I remember uh, going to the university and we were getting, uh, you know, kids that, from the students that could come in and, and work at our, my workplace. So I was meeting the dean of one of the colleges, and he was looking at my resume and everything, and he said, gosh, kid, you have an amazing resume, but you don't have a sheepskin. I'm going, well, I don't know what a sheepskin is. I know I'm in Idaho, but I don't think it's important that I have a sheepskin. Yeah. And he says, you know, you've got an amazing thing, but what's your goals? And I said, well, you know, I probably would write books and things like that. And he says, then you're going to want a good degree. Now, there's a normal path to get certain things if we have expectations. We'll go visit the counselor. We'll find out how much we can afford. Yep. But when we open up without that expectations, God is able to come in and fill in the spaces. And hence, the miracles in our life take place. Uh, from this one particular man, I would go on to... That was one of my goals was to get a bachelor's degree. And, uh, but I was planning four years. And so I said to this gentleman, I said, um, I don't want to take basket weaving. I'm an adult learner. I'm working full time. I'm trying to get my health back. I've got these goals. And he said, well, okay. He guided me every semester as to what classes I needed to take at university place. And in mm. four years, I went on to get a bachelor's, a master's, and a doctorate, all the dissertation. In four years, you did all of that? No shortcuts. Wow. But see the difference? 
When yeah. I have expectations, it's four years to get the bachelor's. When I get out of my way without expectations, God then fills in those spaces with the right people and those miracles. Now, was that a lot of hard work? Oh, yes. It was definitely a lot of hard work. It was mm -hmm. school double full-time. It was working full-time. It was, it was life. It was uh, community service. It was religious service, you know, spiritual growth, and still trying to train to complete the Ironman. My first summer going to school, I biked 1,600 miles. Wow, in one summer. In one summer. So you talk about expectations, which I, I think this runs counter to how a lot of people view sure. goals. Like you get committed and kind of baked into the idea of commitment is you expect to achieve those goals, right? There's an expectation there. Um, I think what you're talking about is expectations of the journey, of yes. how the journey is going to exactly. happen. So the end point can be certain in your mind. It was knowledge. But be imaginative, be open yes. along the way. Because if you create expectations about the journey, you're shutting down some options for God. Let me show you what that looks like, okay? And let's go back to paralysis in the hospital. Okay. And let's go back to the Ironman goal. Oh, gosh, I really would like to, to complete the Ironman course, but look at me. I'm paralyzed from the neck down. I can't even break a saltine cracker with my teeth. Yeah. And, oh, man, the cost. Can you imagine how much that's going to cost? And how I don't even know if I'm going to be a quadriplegic the rest of my life. How would I ever find the time? All of a sudden, we start putting the obstacles that we manifest in yeah. front of that goal. And they, because we manifested them, take life. Yeah. And so I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the health. I don't know the people. If we take all those away and we say, okay, God, you're my partner, you know all those things. What I'm going to do is I'm going to work hard like it depends on me, and I'm going to pray hard like it depends on you. So essentially, I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm thinking, we, like I, I believe what you're saying, that you do manifest obstacles when you start thinking about all the reasons why something cannot happen. Mm -hmm. You're, you're creating them uh, inadvertently, but you're, you're creating those exactly. things. So th the attitude in, in place of that, if you want to achieve that goal is work hard. Number one, that's, that's critical. You have to, and, and be willing to do what it takes. And number two, have faith in God, but also a sense of excitement anticipating how God is going to make this thing happen for you. Yes, yes. I would switch that around. Okay. First of all, my faith in God is number one. That's number one. Because he's my partner. Yeah. He can't fail. Number two is me working hard. Now, working hard might be that day just getting up and cooking breakfast. Mm -hmm. That was an amazing day. Because what I didn't know is time down the road, I would bike. 60, yeah. 70 miles and run five miles yeah. in a day, mm -hmm. okay? And I had to treat both of those for where I was at. So to our listening audience, where you are today is the perfect point to start your journey. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter all the facts. What matters is your heart goal. 
What yeah. matters is the, the journey that you want to be on. Yeah. What matters is you don't have to have all the answers. If I shared right now, and I, this will be a second podcast, but if I shared right now, and even then, remember the, the lead doctor, Dr. John Pettijohn coming in? Mm-hmm. And 20 minutes later, I had the lead psychologist in my room. People choose to believe what they can see. But success isn't what we can see. Success is what we can create. Success is like that ripple. Can you imagine me throwing a, a rock in the middle of the lake and having seen all the ripples before I throw the rock? The yeah. ripples are the amazement of what that rock did. Yeah. And so, so that journey for me became that. Now, that might sound very idealistic, and that might sound amazing. But you know what? None of us are different. We all have challenges. My challenges are no greater than yours. They're not. They're yeah. no greater than anybody that's listening to this podcast. What I hope is that I can take what I've learned from those challenges and he help people accomplish their goals. Because we don't need to dismiss the goals we have as being too big or, or yeah. not accomplishable. Uh, people used to say, gosh, that is just crazy. I remember my very first surgery. I had nine operations in nine months. Both hips were replaced. Both knees were scoped, ACLs and meniscus were taken out. My right knee was replaced. And this was all damage from the virus, Guillain-Barre. I'd go on to get it two more times after the first time. Mm -hmm. And so and then I had a hiatal hernia repair, a Nissan stomach reconstruction. And then I had a spinal stimulator stuck in my back to mitigate the pain from two deteriorated discs and an impeded sciatic nerve. Wow. Now, you know what the doctor said? Oh, that's crazy. But I yeah. interviewed the doctor because the key for you to manifest and realize that big goal you have is surrounding yourself with the right people that can help you. Yeah. And oftentimes, those people are put in our path for us to meet. I'd like to say the whole dream team that I created, I knew them. I planned that out way back when I was paralyzed. Uh-uh. It was one day at a time meeting them. And I went to business owners and I said, I've got this dream. I've got this goal. This is where I'm at. And you know what they said to me? What? No, okay, so who are you talking about? Who was, who was a quadriplegic? Here I am yeah. in my white shirt and my Levi's and, you know, and glasses on top. And no, you're not the one. Well, yes, I am the one. Yeah. And so as doctors right now who hear my journey, I'm another walking miracle. Mm -hmm. The University of Utah, uh, the whole cardiology, pulmonology, uh, and neurology department say, you're a walking miracle. You should be dead five times. That's, that's a, another podcast. But you know what? I'm still going to Kona. What is the cause for you to not lose the interest in that dream for 23 years? For me, it was to honor a promise I made to myself. That becomes one of the most powerful promises you can make in honoring the promise to yourself. Rod, I want to ask you a question. By the way, for our listeners, we're talking with uh, Rod Hutchins. Uh, you can find out more at his website, rodhutchins.com. I've always believed that the depth of your grief or your pain defines the potential for your triumph, your happiness. Exactly, yes. That. Now, most people are not going to be quadriplegics because of Guillain-Barre no. or, or other, other um, aspects of this. And so when you're in that hospital bed you, and you make that 
to what many people would say is this impossible goal. You're a quadriplegic and you want to go do the Ironman in, in Kona, Hawaii. Complete the course. Yeah, complete the course. Uh-huh, not compete, but complete the course. Yeah, to complete the course uh-huh. in, in Kona, Hawaii. What, how do people find their Kona, if I, if I can say that? Because a lot of people, maybe their, their lowest point is a divorce. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's- Loss of a job. Loss of a job. Or, I mean, there are a lot of things that can create- Health. A, a low point for people's sure. lives. But not to the depth that yours was. At least, thankfully, most people don't have that kind of a thing. But in, in that moment- you created your Kona in that dark moment. Yes. So when people hit difficulty in life, they hit adversity. How, what would you, what advice would you give them so they, they can find their own Kona? That's a great question. I'd like to just clarify one thing. Okay. I don't think my challenges were extreme. I think the mother who's dealing with a child that has cancer, mm-hmm. that's tough. I think the single parent raising children, that's tough. I think of a couple where he just lost his job. Yeah. That's tough. Every one of those events that you talked about are just as difficult to them as mine was to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not really measurable. We're not competing here. We're not competing. In, but yeah. the steps to get through them remain the same. Yeah. At least what I would like to recommend. Okay. I'm often asked to speak to large groups and to train. Uh, you know, how do you hold a goal and, and accomplish it? What are the key elements of that? There's, there's a whole program that I have, but certain things become fundamental in doing that. Number one, realizing that where you are is perfect. Mm-hmm. I never look on my trips down to University of Utah Hospital in the rear view mirror all the way. Yeah. So stop looking at the problems. That's my first thing. You are enough right where you're at. You're perfect. Right where you're at is the best place you could be right now, regardless of your circumstances. Because, Neil, you hit it right on the head, in my opinion. The greatest challenges in our life become the greatest miracles and stories of triumph. And those stories, we never intend, at least I didn't, to have that ripple go out nationally and internationally. We have yeah. a dream team in Africa. We're helping people. I never saw that when I set the goal just to go to Kona. Yeah. We're getting ready to invite uh, uh, you know, some other amazing people in India and um, in, in Australia. You know? yeah. And so I never imagined those things. So you're perfect right where you're at. Number two, you're not going to do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. There's no way I could have gained the knowledge of how to get a bike, custom make it, tailor make it, tailor my shoes, go through five trainers starting at a negative 50 just to get to zero before I could even start getting my cardio to where yeah. it belonged without surrounding myself with the right people. Your story is perfect for where you're at right now. Yeah. And there it, are people out yeah. there that are willing to help you. A few minutes ago, we talked about manifesting obstacles. Right. And if you think your situation right now is anything other than perfect, that's that obstacle manifestation that you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But see, I don't see my challenge as a quadriplegic any different than I saw my challenge in keeping Explorer Scouts safe in the Tetons. Yeah. 
Yeah. You just dealt with it as it came along. Yeah. And you got through it. And so you, where you're at is, is perfect. Your situation is the story that needs to be told. Yes, I get it. It's tough. But could you imagine me getting my bachelor's, master's, and doctorate if in every class I went to, I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is stupid. I mean, you're having us do these things. You're having us study these things. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I never once said that in a class. Yeah. Hence, I drew the knowledge from those classes that allowed me to be proficient in the areas that I got my degrees in. But what if we took a a look at our challenges that way? What if we said, God, I look at this as a challenge, but I'm going to make it a stepping stone. What can I learn from it? Now, that's the expectation that I have. Yeah. Now, what can I learn from it? And oftentimes that's going through it. Now, that sounds easy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Here's a perfect example of that. You're driving home, get a flat tire. Mm-hmm. You go kick the other three tires. You pound on the steering wheel. You dis- disconnect the battery. Yeah. No, you just do what it takes to get the tire changed, get the situation corrected, and you go on. Yeah. For some people, that flat tire in their driveway would ruin a whole week's vacation. Yeah. However, for others, they'd say, thank you, God, for the miracle, because I got it in my driveway. I yeah. can change it in my driveway. Now let's get on with our journey. So much of this is reframing, isn't it? Yes. Such an important, important uh, goal. Well, Rod, we're clearly going to have to have another episode. Uh, we're close to our hour in time here. Um, any final thoughts before we close this particular episode? Because there's a lot we want to talk about. Let me, let me just tease. Um, you're going back to Kona. I am the second time. You are. You would love to have uh, people with you. You've got a team and, and you're a lot to do. Give us a little tease of that. And then we, in the next episode, we'll go into greater depth. Okay. So just really quickly, I did realize that goal. I created what I called the dream team. You can see that on rodhutchins.com. It include business owners, amazing people that I was led to, like Larry Gellowex from Forever Strong. Um, he's pushing to have a movie done about my story. Um, build a dream team around you. There are people who will want to be a part of your journey. If your journey is heart-centered, servant-centered, So I don't go out and think, okay, I'm going to do this because I influence these people. I know how powerful it is for me and my journey today to surround myself with the right people. So I've surrounded myself on my new journey. I set the goal to go back to Kona. The first trip, uh, amazing story. You can go on my website and read about it. 19 hours on the bike. Wow. Um, I ended up with rapid meiosis. Mm -hmm. Uh, with the highest level of CPK that uh, the medical doctor had seen in his 21 years. And in the operating room. CPK, what is that? Uh, it's, it's how they measure the breakdown in your, your muscles. So when okay. you work out, your muscles shred and then you rebuild them. So anyway, um, so when we got back and I completed that goal, the team was so taken by that journey. It was life-changing. A lot of them, if you go onto the website and you read their stories, you'll find that a lot of them didn't even need to go to Cone to have their lives changed. Yeah. And that's just the power of your story. That's the power of you sharing that story with other people. And so they came back to me, unbeknown to each other, and said, hey, would you consider going back to Kona? And I said, no. I've already accomplished that goal. I have nothing to accomplish. Yeah. And they said, yeah, but your training 
was indicative of about 23 hours, which just to go to Kona with the team you did was miraculous. Yeah. It took you 33 hours to finish it. You've already got the team. You've already got the equipment. And you always say, Rod, making the next right best decision to lead you to your highest self. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the pressure's on. No. Yeah. And God for people who knew me. Yeah. And it was like, you know, yeah, I'm a little competitive. I'd like to go back. That was so amazing. But I have to have a reason big enough. Yeah. And so I set a reason uh, over time, that reason came to me, and it's to build a community awareness model for veterans, particularly with veterans with PTSD. Well, that ended up going national, and now it's awareness for anybody that's in a disadvantaged situation. So you could be child abuse, you could be rape, you could be a PTSD from accidents. Yeah. This this model went over to Africa. A lot of people were trained on it because of genocide. Yeah. And so I did set the goal to go back to Kona. And uh, Neil, you want to hear something crazy? Yeah. God is so amazing. I, I think he has just a really good sense of humor because once I manifested, I was going back to Kona. Yeah. Two weeks later, I got bronchitis, then pneumonia. Oh my. I got bronchitis again, 2019, then pneumonia. Hadn't had it for 30 plus years, only once. Then 2020, I got hit with COVID. And the first strike with COVID would take me out for the next year and a half to be in mm. bed in pain that made the neuropathy of Guillain-Barre look like children's play. Wow. So you were going through an equally devastating health crisis, if not worse. Um, remember that the depth of the challenge equals the height of the blessing. Yeah. This time... I didn't want the attention to be on me. I wanted it to be on the yeah. awareness of other people. And so God said, okay, well, we're going to go through this pandemic and we're going to make this story relatable to anybody and everybody who hears it. Mm. Loss of job. I mean, I was self-employed. I couldn't work for a year and a half. Loss of health. Um, you know, everything uh, that anybody in this pandemic would have gone through, I experienced it but I never lost sight of that goal. And I went down to University of Utah and I would hear what I heard the first time. Oh, yeah. this is so rare. You have five of the six things of COVID. Five yeah. of the made six of six, there were six pathologies that COVID showed the medical profession. I had five levels higher than people were dead at. 33% blood oxygenation wow. rate, people are dead. Can and so going back to Kona, that's my blessing right now to overcome. I want to ask you a question, and I don't know the answer to this, but you probably do. With uh, Guillain-Barre and your health challenges there, a lot of people would look at that and say that was an obstacle to Kona. I think you would probably say that was the path to Kona. That was the stepping stone to Kona. That that was the regimen that God put in your mm -hmm. life that you needed to go through to prepare mm -hmm. you to be able to get there. You, you see from the depths... God will create the individual that needs to become yeah. to the height of the blessing. So for me to have a story that would be relatable to people, for me to go through, I mean, Guillain-Barre is not relatable to everybody, yeah. but COVID is. Mm -hmm. People have lost family. I just, uh, yeah. two weeks ago, lost my oldest sister. Mm. She had lung disease. Yeah. And she was on 50% oxygen. Well, here I am at 
33%. Yeah. It's like holding your breath for two minutes and breathing for one, 24 seven. And so we just had a very rare test and and you're not going to want to mix this next podcast. If you think this story of Kona was huge, I don't want to draw any comparisons from one story to the other, because then what happens is the audience says, well, yeah, my story means nothing. No, your story is just as powerful as mine. But what I do want to say is that this challenge has taken the very best that I've had, that I've learned, that I'm learning, and that I'll continue to learn to be able to go to Kona. But of the medical team that's helping me, three of the five doctors have committed to be in Kona on the Ironman course with me. Good for them. That is, and good for you for getting them there. I'm not getting them there. They're just inspired by the story because very rarely do you see someone come with that much of a deficit yeah, and overcome so much. But again, who's my partner now? My partner's God. God doesn't fail. So I don't have to figure it all out. I know that there'll be a lot of national people. I have a Sylvania team right now that was uh, heard about my story and where the University of Utah said we need 500 more of you to treat you. I'm seeing their, uh, their genetics department head now, and they're running genetics to see what I'm predisposed to. Mm-hmm. This Sylvania team has studied oxygenation and uh, uh, thermal uh, for the last 20, 23 years. Mm-hmm. And now they're stepping in, but the University of Utah said we need 500 more of you to treat you. Yeah. And after having met with the lead on that and going through uh, an assessment with him, he said, you know what, you're road to Kona is straight up, but we'll get you there health-wise. And that's part of my story coming up. Yeah. Here, the miracles abounding. And I think that's what I would title it, is the miracles abounding on the road to Kona. And that's the story that we're going to share with you in the next episode of this podcast. Again, rodhutchins.com is the website if you'd like to read the story and find out more and, and help out with this effort. Rod, we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you, Neil. I'm Neil Larson, and this is The Extra Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, and you can also listen to other episodes at theextrapodcast.com or on your favorite podcast platform.